Connect. Engage. Change. This is 702. This is 702. For the curious. So as you know, COVID-19 has come and clapped us all. Uh, silly. Beyond anything else. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, uh, you know, the way that uh, the situation is at the moment. Um, you know, we, we dealing with COVID-19, we're on lockdown. Suddenly, um, you know, social distancing was the, 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 the word at first. And then after that, lockdown uh, and all kinds of things are happening as we speak to each other, literally. Uh, minute by minute. I mean, I looked up at the latest statistics, 1,655 people are infected with uh, COVID-19 in South Africa. We have 11 deaths now. Um, it's it's definitely rising um, and scarily so. And uh, the, the key question is, what impact does this have on small business? I mean, we spoke to Brooke Spector earlier on. Donald Trump is constantly talking about the U.S. having to open up again. Uh, I think that a lot of people, anyone that's rational anywhere in the world will say the guy is nuts. You know, you can't just open up. You need to first defeat this virus and the impact that it's going to have on people's health before we start uh, moving on to other issues uh, like opening up in a, a country again and so on and so forth. So these are some of the things that we really, really have to start thinking about and Douglas is going to help us uh, navigate through all of those things this evening especially um, for your small business Douglas it's always great chatting to you good evening and thank you for joining us man only a pleasure to be with you again under the strangest of circumstances but here we are I indeed I mean it is uh, look you talk about strange circumstances I saw your video um, uh, your YouTube video about uh, you know you being uh, approached by Random House by Penguin Mm. um, uh, telling you giving you the assignment of writing an entire book at least a minimum of 30,000 words in (laughs) a week seven days yes and are you telling me that you were crazy enough to pull it off you know, the, the email came in and it was very cautiously worded. They said, would you be in the market to do this? And it's one of those ones where you look at it and for a split second, it flashes through your brain how much that implies. It, it's like looking at Mount Everest and going, deep breath, sort of say a prayer. And I just wrote, I, I wrote back immediately and I said, yes, let's do it. It's one of those things that if you think about it too much, you're not actually going to embark on it. Um, but it's done. I mean, we, they, they actually gave me 10 days to write the entire book. But we managed to get it done between two Wednesdays. So it sent seven days from one end to the other. And that's, I mean, it's got to be some kind of a record. No, for sure. I mean, <laughs> and, and do, you know, do you recall the word count at all? Um, I think the edited version comes out at something in the region of about 22,000 words. Um, because, of course, what they do is they strengthen up the manuscript after, after you've written it. Uh, so it's going it's to be a small book, but it's um, very light on waffle and very dense on ideas. It jumps in saying, here's the situation, you've got to survive, now let's talk about what you can do, idea number one. Uh, So it is extremely tightly formatted. No, that's awesome. And I mean, that's what we need, especially, and I think after speaking to Arthur Goldstock just before in a, uh, in mm. what is a, a new digital age that we've entered, albeit uh, kicking and screaming, that is exactly what you need, isn't it? Is that you need Absolutely. Uh, something yeah, to get to the point. and asking people to excuse the dinosaur noises from the three-year-old in the background. I mean, <laughs> it's a whole new reality. It's part of life, exactly. I, I hear you on that one. I mean, that's that's exactly, I mean, I had, I had my four-year-old walk into a meeting while I, coming to me and telling me, <laughs> How he wants a rusk and then asking me who yeah. are the people on the screen. Um, 
but Douglas, let's get into the book, and, and uh, you and I do exactly what you did in putting together the book, uh, pa- Go Past the Waffle. What does the book ultimately deal with, especially based on the fact that a lot of small businesses, as we speak, technically mm-hmm. are in a position whereby you know a lot of them can't run. A lot of them feel yes. that, listen, we're stuck now. This is it. At the very Trump. best, they're in stasis, and they're hoping to see whether something happens on the far side. In a worst-case scenario, they're struggling to, to help their people. As uh, pay salaries in it, yeah. Mm, yes, and, and we address that in the book as well. So the title of the book is, is, it says what it does on the can. The title is Virus Proof Your Small Business, 50 Ways to Survive the COVID-19 Crisis. And what I set up in chapter number one is I say, listen, if you're feeling baffled, battered, confused, you don't know how to begin orienting your thinking, here is the phrase that you want to keep at the apex of your thinking. Business survival equals this simple formula, profit over costs. Profit over costs is the entire thing. Now, I start off by saying a lot of, um, a lot of people who go into sort of a, a panic mode and wonder what to do next will focus exclusively on the costs side of that equation and specifically on keeping it low. That is a good idea, but it is only half of the equation. It is entirely possible to conserve your way into the grave, and that, that doesn't serve anybody either. Mm-hmm. So you do actually have to look at both sides of that equation. How do you keep a little bit of cash flow as well as tightening up on the costs? And that's the sort of orientation for the beginning of the book. No, that for me is awesome because it gets straight down to the nitty-gritty of what it is. And I mean, I, I always look at your definition of, of cost and um, not cost, but rather um, obviously making more income over and above your cost. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not waffle stuff. It's not some sort of weird um, idea where I come back to it and I raise my eyebrow and I say to myself, what, what on earth are you on about? Yes, it sounds fancy, but I need real hard cash in my pocket. Um, ultimately, you are looking at it from a real hard cash perspective. Yeah, and there's an absolute bare minimum of, of waffle in this book. The, the, the most esoteric that it gets, the most philosophical that it gets, is the opening chapter, um, the first idea of the, the 50 ways in which to fight for your business says, make the choice to fight for it. And that is a psychological idea and has nothing to do with money. But it is an important one because it is very easy to find yourself mentally stuck. And what I do is in in that chapter, I provide the simple little mechanism for getting yourself unstuck, which is I say, if you feel that you can't think of a new idea, you can't get past a mental block, I'd like you to have a preloaded means of escaping that. And it can be as simple as when you feel it coming on, get up and walk around the garden or get up and make a cup of tea, or get up and make a phone call. It doesn't matter what you do, Mm. so long as you have decided in advance what you will do when you feel stuck. And then I go into the idea that, you know, hard times can actually be galvanizing. Rather than looking at it as we're trying to see if we can survive and uh, perhaps hiding from your team members, not sharing the truth with your family, I encourage you up front to do the opposite, to say, right, we're on a mission together and get people to pull together and think about how they can contribute. But as I say, that, that's about as, as philosophical as it gets, and the rest is practical business. So, if you don't mind, if we can just go and skip through some of the, I mean, there's 50 chapters. Mm, and, I mean, there's 50 uh, segments. I, I guess they, they um, I don't know if they divide it strictly by chapter, but uh, 50 concepts at the very minimum, right? Um, yeah. and, and I hope you don't mind me sort of just jumping to some as opposed I, to going through I would through love all you to do that. My goal, I mean, the book only comes out globally on the 10th of this month, and I'm trying to get the ideas out before the book even comes out. So, I, and I've been sharing them liberally on YouTube and, and so on. I've noticed um, that. So, yes. Absolutely. So let, let's get as many of the ideas out tonight as we can. 
The, the first thing that I do after saying that you need to make the choice to fight for it is I said, all right, get your head around the size of the challenge in your scenario. So step number one is to know two things. You need to know your numbers and you need to know your dependencies. I see and that, what yeah. I mean by your, yeah. So the first one, numbers. What are your numbers telling you? If you're a business that is big enough to have, say, multiple revenue streams, I'd like you to get those numbers together in one place and be able to look at them uh, in one go. And ask yourself the simple question, what story are the numbers telling you? So, for example, perhaps you've noticed that all of your revenue is down, but perhaps there's one thing that's still up and you hadn't noticed that. What represents a cost that has to be culled? What represents something that is actually still performing? What are your numbers telling you? And there's also a bit of a, uh, perhaps a depressing element to this one, but it's one worth knowing. There's a stat that says as many as, um, as much as one third of new businesses actually fail because of theft, because of fraud. And there we're not talking about casual, yeah, we're not talking about casual pilfering. This is generally the person who has access to your books, access to your bank accounts. Now, the fact that the, the number is so high, the percentage, one third of new businesses fail because of that, tells us something interesting. It tells us that most business owners don't think it would happen to them. Mm, so mm. I want people to be aware of that right now. It's a, it's a harsh truth, but it is a truth. And also there is an unusual temptation to pilfer from you now. The, you know, the temptation to siphon off at this point in time is higher than usual. So you must have access to your books. You must have access to your numbers. And that's part of the initial orientation. So that's the first one is know your numbers. Next one is know your dependencies, which is to say what channels are you working with? And uh, here we can actually look at a couple of opportunities. We, we start by saying, from an ethical perspective, mm. if your suppliers are still supplying you, please continue to pay them, please continue to work faithfully with them, because this is kind of a game of perceptions. The more everyone keeps doing business with everyone else, the better everyone does, and we carry each other through. So I, I come at that from a sort of an ethical perspective and I say, if anyone is still patronizing your business, support them. If anyone is still supplying you, stay with them for heaven's sake. Then I say, uh, there's a little caveat to this that says, on a practical note, they may fold. So while I, I encourage people not to start uh, changing suppliers, I think it's worth looking around in case you have to find a new supplier. And, and that's a slightly different concern. So you need to put a little bit of thought into what it would take to change suppliers if that is thrust upon you right now. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously an important thing to think about as well. But uh, number 14 stands out for me. Ask yourself what is at the core of your business. I think all too often that's something that we miss. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to sort of get lost in all the other stuff happening at the same time mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to that one thing that you should really be focusing on. Yes. And um, there are some interesting ideas around how you can actually reconfigure what it is that you do. So this is a, a very simple but very clever exercise is to ask yourself, what is the value that you offer? It may not be what you think it is. Um, and I, I encourage business owners to, to go looking for value in places they may not have thought of it before. For example, um, a simple example, Pixar. When they started off, they actually sold computer parts. And somewhere down the line, they started dabbling in making animated logos for other organizations. Then it ultimately dawned on them that that was where their real value lay. They had uh, incredible skill in this one area, and it was doing well. So they changed track entirely. Now, 
at this point in time, you may not be able to sell the thing you traditionally sell. It may simply not be working. Now you've got to ask yourself, what other resources that offer value do you have at your disposal? For example, if you've got people with very high-level skills in in, um, uh, perhaps in coding, in uh, something to do with computer programming, a very high-level skill that could be used somewhere else, Mm. can you let them work for other organizations around the world? Could they upload their work to, say, a fiber or an online forum? What resources do you have and what component parts can be... Um, extrapolated and offered to the world in new and creative ways. Hmm. And I mean, and then obviously you benefit through that particular process. I mean, that for me is absolutely stunning. Let's get back to this one here, that uh, number 21 and number 22, because inter- because of interconnected, uh, because interconnectedness is key, join other online groups. And then 22 goes on to say, yours is not the only website, pop up everywhere. That for me is something that absolutely I find interesting because ultimately, if you go to almost any organization, Douglas, I'm sure you've come across this yourself, mm-hmm. everyone goes on about the damn website. And all too often, you'll find that the damn website is probably the one thing that everyone ignores and that they actually go yeah. to social media and everything else. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can, you can pop up all over the show. And there are lateral ways in which you can think about this one as well. So, you know, you start with the obvious things like the chambers of commerce, the um, industry associations, people who do what you do, and becoming involved in their forums. And a lot of these online uh, organizations, right now, they're asking you to actually advertise on their channels because they know that you are struggling. Um, There is also value to be had in doing something a little unusual, which is talking to your competitors. This is something we'd often find at the very least distasteful or, or perhaps a little bit suspect. Mm. But right now, the scenario is in such flux that talking to your competitors could be a wise thing to do. You might, for example, discover that they've had it with the game, they want out, this is the time in which they, they actually want to sell, and you might be able to buy them out. Or, for example, you might be able to consolidate, and perhaps there's something that you do and they do that you can offer You can offer it in a sort of a pool Joint, sense yeah. in order to... Yeah, in order to make sure that people are still getting value and the costs are spread out. Um, there are always creative ways of doing this, and that's the kind of thing we want to be exploring right now. I, I find that fascinating, and I think it's something that we really have to pay so much more attention to um, and, and, and think about. I mean, for me, Douglas, ultimately, is this a period of opportunity? You know, I always go back to that uh, age-old cliche yeah. that tells us that more mil- bil- millionaires were created during the Great Depression than at any other point in time. I guess Absolutely. this is our joint Great Depression at this point in time. Uh, we're looking at yeah. COVID-19. We're looking at tanking economies. Uh, we're looking at all kinds of bad scenarios, ultimately apocalyptic scenarios. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know, for me, there is still, and maybe some people would say I'm an opportunist, but I see, I, I have a sense of optimism coming out of this. Is it misplaced? I do myself. And, and no, in fact, I, uh, my personal belief, and I'm really, this is just based on a gut feel, I don't think this is going to go on as long as we think it is. Um, but I'm not backing that up with any signs. That, that's my personal opinion. Nevertheless, what do entrepreneurs do in a nutshell? They serve human need. And, you know, the need has not disappeared as a result of the crisis. It is still there. In some cases, it may be in stasis. But in other cases, it might be more pronounced than usual. And in terms of, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, opportunity, things that, um, that this sort of throws up in the phone. Well, perhaps one of the most obvious ones is that, Gabblers, chancers, and people whose 
Hearts were never in an industry. Very rarely survive a crisis like this. And at the same time, I mean, we must, you know, honestly admit that sometimes the, the top professionals don't survive either. What that means is, if you are faithfully serving right now, and if you are positioning yourself for, um, for the ability and the capacity to serve in future, the chances are you are going to come out of this better than you were before. And I mean, that for me is ultimate. But is this also a time for new opportunity? Because what you're saying is, is that obviously these are people who are already, and I know your book caters for people who are already in business, from what I understand. I mean, what about the guy? And I'm also not talking about the chancer. I'm also not talking about the hustler, mm-hmm. so to speak, the guy that just jumps at any opportunity when he thinks that there's an opportunity. But someone who, yeah. for example, for a very long time, has been planning and thinking of starting a business and now yeah. has the time, now has the opportunity to actually go ahead and, in, and, and, and say engage and initiate. That for me um, is that person in, in the prime position to launch their ships and say, this is my opportunity to, to, to take advantage of the current situation. And it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But actually it's one of the soundest business principles. I mean, uh, profitability is based on buy low, sell high. Yeah. And right now everything is low. Uh, business is at, a, is at a low ebb. A lot of people are exiting certain industries and uh, certain space and not serving certain markets. So there is no doubt now is by far the best time. Um, you know, a lot of the time during crises, people tend to sell off their, their stocks, their shares, their businesses. And a few counterintuitive bold souls are out there doing the exact opposite. If, if you have the resources to invest in something now, uh, to buy a business, to invest financially and so on, now is actually probably one of the better times to do it because when it's low, it's going to go back up again. In terms of starting up your own business, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of chapters there that address the idea of the solo entrepreneur. And as you know from our, our previous discussions, my little thing in life is this idea of positioning yourself as an expert in your industry, becoming the Clarkson of cars, the Schwarzenegger of bodybuilding, the Oprah of TV. Well, mm. now is the time to build the foundational credibility that is the, the cornerstone of that career tomorrow. So, for example, if you've always meant to write a book, well, for crying out loud, has there ever been a better time to do it? You're cooped up, you have time, um, and there's going to be need on the far side of it. If, for example, you've always intended to start a YouTube channel or, or anything down those lines, now is absolutely the time to do it. And actually, just thinking about that YouTube one, it's funny how we become very serious-minded about what we think can make profit in the world. And in the book, I quote this example of one of the, the world's bigger YouTube channels called Dude Perfect. And that's the name of the channel, Dude Perfect. Mm. And it's a bunch of ex-college kids who throw basketballs through hoops in novel ways. They have over 50 million subscribers. And it's, it's not just making money for them. It's making them extraordinarily wealthy. So, and I know, and I know that as much as we admire those guys, we also we they also tick us off. They quite frankly piss us off because you wonder to yourself, how on earth is it that a YouTube channel like this is the number yeah. of followers and obviously generating the income that these guys yeah. are getting at the moment? Well, well, there you're touching on one of my favorite subjects of all, which is the idea that economics is is not a moral system, um, and it's a, it's as simple as supply and demand. We you know we look at something and we go, but this human being is not morally worthy. Well, it has nothing to do with that. Mm. What it has to do with is the number of clicks on their site. And it's that simple. It's, it's numerical, not moral. And we, we do tend to make the mistake of confusing those two categories and going, well, I work much harder. Well, well granted, but that's, you know, it's not about 
nice feelings, uh, social, uh, e- economics don't work that way. Uh, but yeah, anyway, in that particular case, it's such a great example that entertainment over mass scale is an incredibly profitable, uh, lucrative endeavor. And as I say, we tend to become very serious-minded in times of crises. The opposite approach, which says, how do we make it lighthearted? How do we make it entertaining? How do we bring yeah. the touching human aspect might actually be the most winning approach right now. Uh, definitely, and I mean, I find it absolutely stunning and, and, and fascinating what what you you know what you are putting out there, and I think it all makes sense, especially now in this era where, um, unfortunately, I think the the other side to the coin is all too often, especially for younger people, um, we want the riches here and now, and you don't necessarily understand that those dudes that have been uh, doing the basketball thing have been doing it for quite some time and probably expended yes, they, a lot have, in trying to get themselves invested in it as a business and. It's been building over time, and they've taken it for, for a topic that seems so frivolous, throwing balls through hoops. They have nevertheless taken it very seriously. They've invested in uh, good camera equipment. They've come up with creative ways of doing it. They've spent days at a time working on getting a single shot. So, yes, I mean, the, the end result of that is human entertainment of the lightest form. But the work that goes into it, people, don't, people often miss that part. So let's look at some of the other ideas that you put forward. I mean, you, uh, the one that I like is um, uh, the uh, you know looking at your staff, people who work for you, because I think that for mm. for a lot of people uh, is a yeah. serious concern, considering that how um, to keep them going, how to keep them going. I mean, how yeah. do you keep them going? A lot of businesses, I know that when uh, just before the lockdown started, all kinds of questions were asked. Uh, just last week, when I was standing in for Zania, um, mm. I was speaking mm. to someone that was assisting with Johan Rupert's. Uh, fund to, to, to help small businesses so that they're able to pay mm. their people, etc., etc. A lot of people are worried yeah. at this stage and they're saying, I've got people that I have to pay salaries to. How do I do that when yeah. I'm not operating my business? That's possibly one of the most personal aspects of this and, and one that really, I think, to, to the great credit of the South African community that people have been most worried about. Yeah. Um, there are several things that we can do here. The first thing is when you go looking for costs to cut, Try, try not to start with people. Start with, with, uh, with processes, start with everything else, leave people toward the end. If you get to the point where you are talking about laying off people, there are other things you can do as well. For example, rather than, let's say that you have 100 staff members, rather than laying off 50 of them, what you can do is you can have one set of 50 work for a couple of weeks and the next set of 50 work for a couple of weeks after that. This, of course, does mean sort of reduced pay all around, but it doesn't mean no pay for a group of people. Um, there are also funny little things you can do. For example, if your, your people are knowledge workers, if they produce something digital or online, you can add a digital tip jar to, to their work. And this has become a fairly common feature around the world, and I'm not sure many South Africans are aware of it or actually doing it. So if you go onto a site like Fiverr.com, which is F-I-V-E-R-R.com, mm. this is one of the sort of global forums where you can order digital animations, you know, things of All kinds of services, yeah. All all manner of things. If you like the work, you you will pay a standard fee for the work, but if you really like it, if you want to show your appreciation for the artist, the the creator, you can actually add a digital tip. So, I mean, people in South Africa, again, to their credit, are looking for ways to support other businesses right now because we get it. We, We know that people are in trouble here. You can set that up. That's one way of doing it. You can also do things like voucher systems, um, so say, for example, you've got um, one of those little dog cleaning vans that goes around uh, the suburbs. They come around to your house, they, they load the dogs up, they wash them, and you pay for the services. 
while they can't necessarily come to you right now, you could buy a voucher from them um, that you could redeem at a later stage. And if you are the business owner, you might offer the vouchers at something of a reduced cost, um, offer some mm. kind of a special, just to keep the cash flow going. Douglas, so as, a, as a final thought, mate. I'm sorry, as a final thought, isn't this also the opportunity for, as you said, when you have uh, staff who are knowledge-based, people who, Mm. uh, and I'm running a business where I ordinarily pay the person 40, 30, 40,000 rands a month. I can't afford to pay them that at the moment because I'm not getting the income that I require to pay them that amount. I mean, no matter how we look at this, some companies and some businesses are going to strain financially. Mm -hmm. Um, Isn't this the perfect opportunity where you turn around to that person and say, listen, get Get onto a Fiverr, uh, freelance your services to someone else. I give you permission. Yes. Go out there and be your own free agent. I will try to support you as much as possible, maybe even help you advertise, um, pay you a pittance of what I normally pay you. Yes, but this is your opportunity for you to freelance. Company resources. Yeah, you can use our company resources yeah, to do it. Exactly. Now, you can do that as the leader of the company, and you can then take a total fee and sort of um, essentially hire your staff out, or you can simply allow them to do that, allow them to use the infrastructure. That for me is absolutely fascinating. It just shows that there's that this is an opportunity. Um, ultimately, it, it depends on how you look at it. Obviously, a lot of people will turn around and say, "But uh, Douglas, it, it's all dependent on your business." I mean, you know, it's it's not just uh, you know for anyone and for everyone. Yeah, spot on. In fact, that's why we went with all of my books have this fifty ways format, but it lent itself particularly uniquely to this challenge. Right at the beginning, I say the ideas are industry agnostic. Agnostic. They're drawn from a range of different business types and styles and genres and so forth. Use the ones that work for you. Um, and then I make an interesting point. I say some of the best creative thinking is when you compare ideas across categories. So I point out, if an idea doesn't initially seem right for you, turn it around in your head a little anyway. Sometimes the most far-flung idea adapted to your scenario can actually be the most productive. So, mate, when does the book come out? Where can people get it? And, of course, a lot of people do read digitally anyway, and especially since we are under lockdown, even if it yeah. was out in bookstores now, I couldn't go get it. So when yeah, is it out? We can't, we can't do print I get it? in South Africa. So it's, it's going to print in the UK. It's going to physical print in the US. Uh, but we're starting with the e-books. Um, Amazon is already taking pre-orders if you go to the Amazon site. comes out in e-book form here on the 10th. I believe it goes to print in the UK on the 14th. Um, and all over the world. I mean, it's being printed in places like Romania. Uh, I've never read one of my books in Romanian and probably never will. (laughs) (laughs) But one can get it here online. Yeah, absolutely. And if you'd like the ideas in advance, like I say, I'm giving them away for free in advance of publishing the book on YouTube. Um, So if you can search for Douglas Kruger or from Amateur to Expert, um, I'm publishing new ideas each day. Awesome stuff. Listen, mate, it's always great seeing you. Of course, uh, from amateur to expert, if you look for that on, on, on Google, it uh, directs you to Facebook, to YouTube, to all kinds of stuff, yeah. all kinds of platforms that you occupy. You're quite a, a force yourself. Thank you so much. All the best to you, mate. Only a pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers, man. That was Douglas Kruger.